Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a special show for you this uh, this week here. Uh, we've, as you no doubt know, we've been dealing and reflecting you, the community, <sighs> my beautiful hospital community out there, the winemakers, the barmen, everybody that's involved in tourism and hospitality, we've been reflecting the reality of the situation and um, we thought, bugger it, <laughs> we're just going <laughs> to turn our backs on all this crap that's going on and we're just going to have a little bit of a good time for you in this hour. Uh, we're going to be speaking about a couple of things. One is a product which is virtually an, a, a bit of an anachronism and I was delighted in the fact that you said, I've never even seen this, which, which is good, which we will get to um, and we're going to talk about. It's in a bottle. There you go. It sounds like that. It's a fairly hefty bottle. Um, it has this fabulous artwork that almost looks like a phantom comic. From another time. From, from another, another time. age. From another time. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, we're going to do something special for you. Um, but um, I have something, and I even got Kent a bottle of this. Um, so I thought we'd start off the show with um, this thing, and I'll tell you my inspiration of it. Kent's never in a- actually seen it. He's had a complete um, industrial blindness to this product. And I speak of um, a product that is born out of deprivation, I think would be the best way to actually describe it. I talk about Bushel's Coffee. Uh, and chicory essence, and if you want to see a picture of it, I've actually posted it just up to the Instas. Uh, what is my Insta? It's been a while since I've posted anything. <laughs> Cam Smith, eat it or eat it, Cam Smith. One of those, you'll find me. Um, and it's actually, I'll, I'll throw to you, Kent. You want to describe the label to us? What have you got in front of you? It's very old timey. Um, people, the one thing I do recognise is the bushels. Uh, Font, you know, Bushels had a very unique font. You saw it on their tin cans of uh, tea, so that looks familiar. But then there's uh, a rather potentially dubious, uh, I guess you'd call it a a cultural ha- image, cultural image, cultural image on the label. Um, and we'll, 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 it's a man in affairs with a with sort of this pointy beard and a, and a moustache. Yeah, um, but I think it, what that is sort of to evoke is the fact that it's Turkish coffee. Coffee and chicory, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah the coffee. That, that would be the link, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, but made in Australia. <laughs> yeah, made in Australia. So um, this, this thing, this, this, this drink, this thing, you know, it's, it's in the coffee section at your supermarkets. You might have seen it. Um, blue label on the top. Bushels, as you say, yeah, has that font. It looks like very nouveau, almost art nouveau sort of a font, turn of the century. Um, and it's sort of, how would you describe that red, Kent? Or I'm, I'm russet? I'm colour blind. Oh, well, then you're not good. <laughs> you're not good. What, black and, you see black and white or just can't see colours on top of each other? 
The latter, yeah, yeah. Okay, colours yeah. on top of each other. All right. Well, um, it's sort of um, a russet red. It's sort of, um, yeah, sort of going towards brown. But anyway, so um, I thought I'd just – I did a little bit of research on this because I'd never tried it in all my life. I'd walked past it and went, oh, it's probably awful. And uh, we're just about to find out whether it is. But it comes – it's a two-sort of um, stage thing in the fact that um, – uh, where are my notes here? Um, this actually comes and is inspired by some Scots um, because in England in 1855, um, Campbell Patterson of R. Patterson and Son in Glasgow um, came up with something which was a game changer and he came up with what was probably, Kent, the very, very first instant coffee. And it was called Camp Coffee. And um, dried? Uh, no, no, a syrup. Uh-huh. A, a syrup. The same thing. The company apparently oh, specialised in cordials, and uh, their best selling product was a raspberry cordial, uh-huh. often added to whiskey or brandy. Of course it was. To create a drink. And you, you know what the drink was called? No, go on. Cuddle Me Deary. <laughs> I'll just say that again. It was called Cuddle Me Deary. Um, uh, the coffee instance was uh, developed by Campbell Patterson for a domestic use uh, to avoid the complex and then extremely expensive equipment required for coffee making. And it was also um, sent off to the army. Um, and in fact, I think the label had a, right. a Gordon Highlander being served by his sick. Um, not Sikh, mate, but Sikh um, servant w- with this stuff. So let's move forward to um, Bushels, which was founded – I didn't know this. Bushels was founded way back in 1883 as a tea shop by Alfred Bushel. So there was a Bushel and, um, and soon proved to be a popular. And apparently Alfred's sons, Philip and Walter, joined and helped expand the business in, in, in 1889 and uh, from Brisbane – uh, Bushel and Company moved into George Street, Sydney, uh, by then supplying tea across Australia. But during the Great Depression of the 1930s, chicory became a popular coffee substitute and additive. And Bushels began making coffee and chicory essence in the 1930s. And it's been around since then. And um, it's, it's quite amazing. Bushels it used to be owned by Unilever and is now owned by Fresh Food Services Limited. And this is one of those things. What do you reckon, Ken? Well, they've just gone, no, don't touch it. Don't, don't, don't move it along. Yeah, look, I, as, I, as you said, this is new to me, so I'm coming at it the first time. But, yeah, you wouldn't want to mess with this too much um, in terms of, you know, ingredients. <laughs> no. I reckon just as is. So it's, it's an extremely thick syrup, and what we're going to do is... Um, it's almost maple syrup kind of... Um, well, it's got caramel in it as, yeah. as, as one of the ingredients. So it's it's caramel, chicory essence and coffee essence uh, pretty much. And the idea is that you could make yourself like an instant coffee, but n- none of us would. <laughs> mm. um, but you can... Here in the 21st century, it's still apparently a valid thing to make iced coffee which we're just about to try. Now, I'm putting in two teaspoons of this. So, as I say, it's very, very thick. You're stirring yours up. I can hear you, Kent. Yep. 
and it and it looks like iced coffee too, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm just about to put the milk in. Also, apparently, really, really good on ice cream. Some say. Yeah, that makes a lot and of sense. And you could imagine it being used in cakes. So if you haven't got an espresso machine, it's thick, isn't it? Yep. Wow. Now I'm just mixing up here, go. It's kind of um, we go. a variation on Bailey's almost. Mm. Could this be a great ingredient for an espresso martini? I think you might be onto something there. It's not quite the coffee, though. It's got this weird... You know what it reminds me of? Because um, chicory. First of all, you might ask, what the hell is uh, chicory? What the hell is chicory, Cam? Well, I'm glad you asked me. It's a perennial herb native to Europe, um, and it's related to the dandelion. And um, dandelion tea is a bit of a thing. And I don't know if you've ever tried dandelion tea. Is where you get the tap root from the dandelion, and this is the the bit that they're using. And they put them in kilns and dry them out. And did you know that around cows in Phillip Island, there were in the 19th century there were chicory plantations where they dried out chicory, and it was a thing. Huh. There you go. Anyway, um, this is something. That turns back the hands of time, I suppose. It hasn't changed. As I said before, the the actual packaging reminds me of a Phantom comic, in a way. Hmm. What do you think yeah. of it? What, yep. do, you, what yep. do you reckon, the yep. taste? Oh, look, I like it. I like it. It's interesting. It'd, yeah, be, yeah. it'd be great. In, I reckon it'd be great in baking. I, yeah. I don't think you could have a lot of it. No. <laughs> it's not something you'd uh, just sit on through the afternoon sculling away. No, no, it isn't. So, yeah, so turn back the hands of time. As I said, if you want to see a picture of it, even look up Bushel's Coffee and Chicory Essence. This is what it's all about. It's pretty cheap. It's about four fifty for that. But it also the price varies. So if you see, I still call Australia Home sort of nostalgic websites for Aussie food. I've seen it up to 23 bucks. So Whoa. careful how you buy it. Um, anyway, I just thought we'd, uh, we'd bring that and have a look at it. Uh, the birds are singing, the sun is out, I have the fabulous John next to me. John, we just got our elbows up on the on the thing of your truck, what do you call this thing on the sideboard? Side, the sideboard. Or running board, whatever. Yeah, yeah, so just to, if you want a mental image, we're looking into the tray of the truck, there's a couple pallets there, oh, there's a little half pallet there. And we've got show and tell. This a is green show and tell today. The show and tell, the verde. That's right, yeah. You got it in one. Wow, and you didn't even give me a hard time about pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> Why, you, you're in a good mood today or something? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the coffee. It's just coming up in a percolator. So, yeah, why not? Yeah. When, when you've got good food, good company and good coffee, what else do you want in life? Oh, wow. Well, it's, um, it's lovely to catch up with you. We are... I get the feeling we're coming out of winter because I've noticed uh, cherry blossoms out, magnolias out. There's all these signs that are saying nature is waking up again. Yeah, that's true. But I brought you a winter show and tell today. So actually, no, we've got no. a little bit of both because yeah. we've got lovely cucumbers here as well. Yeah. So yeah, I think you're right. Um, we, we've got a few days of sunshine, but it's not like other years. I was saying to someone yesterday. Um, when was it, four or five years ago, we had a 20-odd degree day in August and I was actually wearing shorts. And um, 25 years ago when I got married, the sun shone like no-one's business on the 20th of August. So, um, you know, that's the beauty of Melbourne. We will see what happens. But um, 
What have I got? I, I wanted to first of all show you something that I got from uh, the baker down inside the market. Yeah, that's Mick and the girls in there. Yeah. Um, they've, they've got beautiful bread and uh, six million other things, nuts and um, cakes and um, um, peanut butter that they make on the premises. And they're the ones that usually, either before or after I see you, I usually get a loaf of bread from them. But today I couldn't resist it. Um, I've got... I mean, you can get pizza bases, and then there are pizza bases. And yes. what do you think? Tell me what you reckon well, about this. I, I must admit, I did say something to you that I shouldn't have said, but anyway. No, that was, that was just your way of saying hello, wasn't it? <laughs> well, in, in short, I was saying that he, he took the easy way out. But this, yeah. this is a beautiful-looking pizza bake, base, and you can tell that it's been made with love because... Um, the colouring of it's beautiful. The tomato on top looks very, very nice. And um, uh, it's just been cooked to the right um, timing so that you can go and put some more to- stuff on top and heat it through and um, have a feast with it. And, and dare I say, it looks like to me like this would be uh, what Italians will tell you the only way to get a decent pizza is the 48-hour prove. Yes, that's true. And, yeah. um, what would yeah. you put on it? Well, this has already got tomato. Is that a little bit of cheese on top, or is it just no? The, it's uh, just a little bit. Of, it's just a little bit well, of tomato. I'd, I'd like to keep it simple. Um, probably another two or three uh, little bits of fresh tomato on top, a bit of basil, um, maybe even a bit of onion, maybe a few. Um, oh, I've gone blank. No. Some um, some of the words we sell out. You're there. not lost for words, yeah, hey? Yeah, I am. It's I haven't had enough coffee. Right, you want me? To, I'll do mine. I'll, I'll just quickly do mine. Mine's be sort of like uh, I bought a cacciatore, so yes. a little bit of uh, sausage on there, and maybe a little bit of anchovy, and maybe a couple little bits of tomato because you inspired me. But that's that'd be about it. And I reckon that'd be good. Yeah, I think so. And, and sometimes it's better to keep it simple. Mm. Um, you can get exotic. Um, but since this is a um, pre-made pizza base, you wouldn't want to go putting too many things on top. Exactly. That's one thing I've learned. Thank God I have. And they're um, they're, they're they're good value too. They're um, five bucks each, which is pretty good, I reckon. So anyway, what's the name of the bakery? It's Castel... uh, Chaffa or Chaffa. I, yeah. I don't know how to it's say. It's in it's in the middle anyway. Yeah, it's opposite the chicken shops there. Yeah, and they've been asking me to give them a plug for I don't know how many years now. So. There we go. So if you want great breads and stuff, go down there. Let's go through the green machine you've got here. There's some beautiful basil leaves. Those basil leaves could probably go on the pizza. Well, believe it or not, this basil came out of the Northern Territory. Um, it comes via Cairns Air Freight, first-class air freight, mind you. Wow, I wonder um, what movie you'd watched. Yeah. Um, it gets looked after because you have a look. It looks like it was picked yesterday. That it's very fragrant. It looks amazing. It's got beautiful seed uh, pods on top, which you should always put on top of your pizza. I a was just of, thinking that. Yeah. A lot of people throw that away, but that's where all the oil is and that's where all your flavour and, um, and smell comes And from. dare I say it, if you're making a... Uh, uh, if you are going to make a vinaigrette, it's a good thing to shake up in the vinaigrette because those oils will mix through. So, very nice. Definitely. So... That's um, a reminder that summer is coming. Yeah. Um, but now we'll go backwards maybe and we'll talk about some... Oh, and we'll talk about these cucumbers. That's a summery thing as well. Three um, different types here? Yeah, well, two. Uh, oh, two. You've got three different sizes. Oh. We've got the traditional Lebanese cucumber here. Whoa, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't that great, man? 
Like yeah. you think, when we were first doing this marker report, I don't know if we even had Lebanese cucumbers no, that no, much. All we had was Aussie cucumbers. Those big bloody burpy things. Yeah, and well, um, and apple cucumbers, which uh, were cucumbers, the saviour yeah. for some yeah. people. But anyway, look how far we and, come. And then, you know, we came along and we had these Lebanese cucumbers. Uh, this is about eight or nine centimetres long. Um, the thickness of an egg. Um, it's got a little bit of bumpy skin because it's cold. Uh, and because of that, that's why we have to sell them ten, twelve dollars a kilo. Um, it only happens for a few weeks of the year, thank God. Um, and also because it's winter, the long, um, what the English call a telegraph cucumber. Oh, telegraph! I've never heard that. Or continental. Yes, we call them continental or Greek yes. cucumbers. Yes. Um, now these ones, what they're doing because it's cold, they're not growing straight. Um, the little ones, um, the size of my palm wide, um, it's very thin and crooked. It, it looks almost like an okra. Yes, it does, actually. Yeah. Uh, and this one's double the size. Now, normally in the summertime, they put more water on them and they fill up with water and they grow straight. Um, because it's cold, they're not growing fast enough. Mm. So they pull the ugly ones off and, and let the prettier ones come big and um, straight, which is what people want. But it doesn't make any difference because mm. of flavour. But How much? Quanto, quanto? We're selling $10. Like I said, they should be 10 or 12 um, These ugly ones, believe it or not, they've got more juice, more flavour, more texture. And I've had to um, force people to buy them. And then they come back next week and say, best cucumber I've ever had in winter. So that's par for the course. Fair um, and what do we got? Oh, so and now we'll go on to this one. Cam's fave. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you, if, you could, if you could go to the, the effort of doing that... I would love to have those artichoke hearts on that pizza. Um, oh, there's, yes. There's but two... you use the little ones. Oh, okay. Less work. This one is just the size of a small egg. Um, you'd peel off one or two layers. Maybe oh, you can yeah. hear that. Yeah. Have a look at that. That sounds good. Don't. And it smells good too. Squeaky. And um, don't, don't lick your fingers like don't. John. <laughs> John has only been trying to get me to do that for 15 years. The, the, hey, s- lick your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. These newer varieties are unbelievable. Um... Or that you get a lot of juice into your fingers and when you lick your fingers it tastes very bitter but even if you eat this artichoke raw you don't get that bitterness into no the way. Really? taste buds it's beautiful wow. now this little one you could chop that into four or even chop it finely and spread it over your pizza mm. without cooking it or you can give it a light boil um, or if you want to do other things you, you'd um, you can pickle cut, them pickle them um, you can char grill them you can batter them and fry them and the possibilities are endless. That's yeah. Israeli style or Jerusalem style is a sort of baked... Oh, that's baked hard um, artichokes. Anyway, now you've got a bigger one that yeah, sort of a has a bit one. of... Now, this, this is ugly and What's... deadly yeah, because that's... it's got a, a few prickles on top. Mm. Um, but it's, it's a pleasant green. Um, again, a little bit of a blistering on a skin because of the cold. But the, the stem on these is so thick, you peel the stem back, and sometimes you'll get more flesh in the stem than you will in the heart. But this variety does have a very big heart. Um, Cameron and myself, we like to steam them or stew them up with broad beans and potatoes. Everything goes a dark grey, but it's a heartwarming grey. I'm happy with it. Uh, and uh, sometimes it's medicinal for you too, um, to, to get something different into the gut. Yeah, and um, and it's it is good for uh, uh, it's good for the liver too. So very much so. Uh, for those of us, and I'm saying us underlined that might have been <laughs> resorting to uh, to the grape or the grain to help us through these times. 
well, it could offer a bit of an antidote. And another thing, which is food as medicine and food as great green things, rapé. Yes, this is a, an Italian broccoli. And again, as you say, it's medicinal. Even with the artichokes, the Chinese dry them and make a tea and drink the water. It's good for the liver and the kidneys. And you can get it in your Asian food shop. You get the artichokes in tea bags. That's right. Yes. And this rapa, it's got a, um, a little broccoli head like a broccolini. But um, don't be fooled, this is not sweet like broccolini. I, I don't like broccolini, to be honest myself. Too, I'd rather too sweet. Yeah. <laughs> well, no flavour, actually. Uh. But when you eat I want, rapa, I want tough love from yeah. my vegetables. When you eat rapa, if, if it's homegrown, it can be very, very bitter. Yeah. The commercially grown stuff, because they put more water and help it grow and look after it, it's a lot sweeter. Mm. And um, this you can do many ways. We, we chop it and boil it and um, dress it with olive oil and a little bit of uh, lemon or vinegar, whatever, serve it beside a steak. A lot of people chop it and do it in a fry pan. You know, you fry onions, throw it in, cover it up, steam it. How long do you need to cook it for? Not very long, Not actually. Long. Not so long it's like the, the, the... Just make sure it doesn't go to much. Cavolo Nero? Yeah, uh, maybe a few more minutes than Cavolo Nero. But also, uh, my PE teacher used to say, if you're cooking greens, throw the greens out, which is tragic. Oh, and drink the water. Drink the water. Boil your rice in the water. And you can do that with a rapa water, and you'd be amazed how beautiful the rice comes. Oh! <gasps> Yes. Oh, that sounds good. And a lot of people put the rubber through to pasta. Not my favourite. I mm. like it on its own. Got it. All right. All right, John. Pick of the market. Pick of the market. Come and try these different things. If you don't know how to cook them, we'll tell you. Um, we've got an abundance of all the veggies. The only things that are still a little bit there are eggplant. Zucchini have come down a little bit. Um, peas and beans is an abundance. Beautiful cabbage. We've had steamed cabbage. We've had coastal cabbage this week, even though it's been... Hot some days and cold the others. Uh, what can I say as usual? Have you got Brussels sprouts? No, I haven't been able to put them on because yeah, they're expensive. Well, no, not really. Five or six bucks. You want oh, to try? Okay. You want to try picking them, mate? They grow with icicles on them. Yeah, no, I've All been looking right. at um, so, supermarket yeah. prices. Yeah. They never come yeah. down in the supermarket. But that's why we're here anyway. But they're, they're, they're not they're not easy to grow. And not well, they are easy to grow, but not easy to pick. And no one wants to go there. Um, and pick them with cold, brittle hands. Oh well, uh, they, they used to tell me they used to have the forty-four gallon drums with a fire in in the middle of the field to warm their fingers. Yeah. Um, we've got an abundance of tomatoes. Still, we're lucky they've gone up a little bit in price, but we've still got good quality stuff, which is what's important. Yeah. Um, like we always say, come through, look to see what uh, takes your fancy when you're walking past. Do your menu in the market. Don't worry about doing it at home. You might think about it. Good, good example here. Looking across, there's a little glint of yellow that is calling to me and says, quinces for three bucks. That's pretty good. That's very good. You yeah, can yeah. stew them up and have them with ice cream or yeah. go further and make a quince paste. Um, but look at all the fruit that's there as well. Mm. There's four or five varieties of mandarins. There's six, seven varieties of apples. Pears about the same. There's still local grapes that have been stored in the fridge, but late-picked crops, and they're beautiful to eat. Mm. So we are blessed in a lot of ways. So get in there and have a feast. John, thanks as always. Oh, I've got to thank Robbie too. Next door, he gave me some nice bananas. That banana bread worked out well. Sorry I didn't bring you a slice. That did was last have, week. Did it have pineapple on top? No, it had passion fruit icing, oh, which was um, yeah, which, which, which some people went, that's crazy. Franca made a banana cake with... Um, she made an upside-down pineapple cake oh, with a banana on top. Yeah. 
and it was a treat. It Ooh. was good. And uh, before we do go, what's for dinner tonight? Uh, actually, one of um, the boys that brings me the bottled pasta, passata from Italy, um, brought me some Friday, and he gave me some magnolotti, which are like a large ravioli. Uh, it's got pork and fennel in it, and um, we're going to have them for dinner tonight, so we'll see what they're like. Likely made fresh. Can't live better than that. That sounds really good. It does. Sorry I can't invite you, mate. <laughs> well, we still get to hear you on the uh, on the airwaves and uh, no doubt we'll be talking to you uh, in the future. I hope so. Yeah. Keep well, everyone. Keep warm. Yeah. Enjoy that... the sunshine. Enjoy life. That's it. La Dolce Vita from the Victoria Market. I'm in great excitement because... Uh... I'm really, really looking forward to chatting to our next guest. His name is uh, Max Allen. He is a redoubtable chap. He's a connoisseur, a bon vivant, and a good writer too. He, uh, You might have read his uh, work in the Australian Fin Review, and he's written, oh, my God, an embarrassment of books. And he has uh, another one that he's uh, just produced, published by Thames and Hudson. It's called Intoxicating. It's 10 drinks that shaped Australia. Hopefully I can hear him at the other end. Are you there, Max? Hi, Cam. Hi, Max. (laughs) I I miss you. Oh, it's not the same, is it? It's not the same being on the other end of the phone line when we could be in the studio opening bottles and drinking glasses and doing all those things that we normally do. Oh, you could be showing me 100-year-old cocktail shakers and old wines and um, and maybe even um, some indigenous drinks, which um, I'm really, really looking forward to talking about. You have just come out with uh, another book. It is called Intoxicating. When did it get published? Ten, it's ten drinks in, that shaped... In the last, so it came out in the last couple of weeks. So it's out there mm. in, in good bookshops and online as we speak. As we speak. Okay, first of all, I've got to say, it's a paperback book. Can I just say, from a, um, from a point of view of holding a book, from the actual mechanics of reading, I really, really like this book because it's, it's very malleable and bendable and you can, um, you can fold the page over and it's very easy to read with one hand. So um, before you even get blown away by the words within, the actual construction is quite nice. I didn't want to do something that was too unwieldy. Like, you know, mm. the whole history of drinking in this country is, is encyclopedic, right? There's so much to write about. It's, it's, um, the, it's the full carton rather than the six-pack. Well, they, I wanted something. But this is almost like, a, you know, one of those two-litre casks of wine, really, isn't it? It's very yes. user-friendly. Yes, it's like a Yolumba <laughs> cask. It's like that very lovely, the, the, that beautiful compact. But, no, it really does. It fits really, really well. Um, what was the inspiration for it, Max? I've always been interested in history. We've spoken uh, on, on the gotcha. show a number of times about the history of drinking. Um, one of the first, well, the first story I had published by a uh, newspaper back in 1993 it was a story about Yeringberg Vineyard up in the Yarra Valley. Yeah. Uh, you know, first established in 1863. And when I went and visited that place, and it, you know, it, uh, at that time, the old winery um, looked like it, it, it did in the 1920s when the last pickers walked away after the last uh, harvest um, back in the early 20th century. I just was so intrigued and, and um, you know, excited about that history that I've been really following Australian drinking history ever since. 
And this is the thing, because this is one of the things that defines you. One is an extraordinary palette, um, but the other is your... The curiosity within, and this is one of the things I love about you, Max, is that you're always looking as to, why does that taste like that? And, and, and maybe I need to taste that. And in a way, you kind of inspired me to try that coffee and chicory essence before to, to just see. But the thing that starts off this book, this really mighty read, and I've got to say I've really enjoyed it, um, was the epiphany in the glass in the beginning. When I was... When I was a teenager, yeah, but it... <laughs> my, my my first, yeah, no, I, I honestly still remember that first glass of of wine, not just you know cheap wine, just that you buy just to get a bit pissed or whatever, but actually mm. a wine that that made me realise that that this fermented grape juice was more than just fermented grape juice. You know, it was something really magical and beautiful. Um, and people might think, oh, was it was it a glass of Grange or was it something that you you know I don't know your your rich uncle yeah yeah did that Max no. can I set yeah. it up allow me to set it up and you can tell us what it is here it is the first line of this great book intoxicating reads the wine looked like liquid sunshine in the glass golden glinting beautiful it smelt and tasted even better sweet. Grapey like honey on my tongue, I gulped it down greedily. What was and this I've, one? <laughs> I've been gulping greedily ever since. It was, <laughs> it, it was Brown Brothers Spatelays Lexia. Does everybody remember that? Spatelays in uh, a wine on the um, residual sugar side of life, shall we say? Well, on the on the let's make wine popular side of life. So in in the touche, touche, Max. The, there was a there was a huge boom in in sweet late harvested white wines that were cold fermented to capture all the grapey flavours in the bottle. So Benin is another very very well known Benin Moselle people might know or people's parents might know as people who are listening to this. Yeah. Uh, and the Brown Brothers was huge at that time. Now. Mm. It was a wine that was, you know, it was cheap and it wasn't meant to be serious, but there was something about it that just, it tasted like sunshine, it tasted like Australia, because I actually tasted that in, in you know, a, a cold uh, winter in London. Oh, and yeah. so it was something about how the wine transported you to another place also that I found really exciting. Yeah, yeah. And this is um, something that you've sort of been evoking ever since. Um, you did say to me, Max, um, when I did get the book, I went, you know, the publisher, I've got the book, Max, I'm going to read it. And you said to me, Cam, there'll be some surprises in there. <laughs> and I hope so. Yeah, and, 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 and surely, uh, sure enough, there were. And, um, and the, the first chapter goes into something where we, you dash um, a misconception uh, against the, the rocky coastline of this continent. Would you care to elaborate about that? Yeah, so uh, if, if most people would think that if you were going to choose 10 drinks that, that kind of tell the story of drinking in, in, in Australia, that the first one, yep. obviously, in most people's minds, is, is, rum. is going to be rum. Yeah, right? rum. Yeah, that's, rum that's what everybody said. Everybody Bly said me, under oh, the bed. All that business. Yep. Everybody learned that at school. Uh, and what I'd learned a few years ago and that kind of inspired the whole writing of this book really back to your original question mm. is that, that that that's not true that indigenous people enjoyed fermented drinks in various parts of australia for long many many 
untold centuries before Europeans arrived here in 1788. That was the thing that, when I read that, when I found out about that, and kind of really, when it, when it sunk in, because it took a while to sink in, because it's yeah. one of those ideas that, you know, it does go against your, your education, I suppose. Um, and that, that was the point where I thought, oh, I've really got to find out more about this. Because the one who gave you the, the clue to that was a woman called, was it uh, Maggie Brady? Maggie Brady's a social anthropologist yeah. at the ANU in Canberra, and she's written about this. Other people have done research into this area as well, of course, and, and Aboriginal communities have known about this <laughs> yeah, for, for quite a long time. Um, but, you know, a lot of us haven't been asking the right questions, I think, is, is, is what's been going on here. So back to what you were saying before about when I read this, I thought, mm. what do these taste like? Of course you did. Because you're Max Allen. Of course Allen. I did. Because <laughs> I'm greedy and I want yeah. to. I want to do a new flavour experience. I want to try this. So I managed to get down to Tasmania, where there's a drink called Wayalina, mm. which is the fermented sap of a type of eucalyptus that the common name is the cider gum tree. Yes. And that's what the clue is in the name, right? Because this, this sap kind of flows, it trickles freely from the, the bark of the tree. And when it pulls in a hollow in the tree or if you collect it in a, in a container, it ferments spontaneously. So it creates this kind of lemony, apple cider-like drink. It's a very mild drink. Mm. And being able to taste that on the tree in Tasmania, in the Central Highlands, on Aboriginal-owned land, was was the was the start of the book. I thought, well, there's the perfect opening Boom. to a book about the history of drinking in Australia. You know, it, it, sort of two things. One is that um, uh, usually eucalyptus sap is tremendously unpalatable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like wow. Um, but also the the very very fact that when you you talk about describing this, you say that when it first comes out, it's actually quite light and citrusy, and then changes as it comes down. This thing must be a prodigious weeper of, 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 of sap because not only does it weep down and it's palatable, but it, it actually can form in pools which then ferment. Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, so there are, uh, there are other um, foods that, that, that are um, consumed from eucalyptus sap. So, so the managums in, in Victoria um, yeah. produce a very thick kind of resinous sap that, that was chewed, is chewed uh, as a kind of, you know, a lolly. Yes. Um, but you can definitely taste the eucalyptus. That was the most startling thing about this, is when I first tasted that lemony, light, sugar syrup-like consistency, it, it doesn't taste of eucalyptus. It tastes of, I don't know, it just tastes of the sugar that, that, that's in the sap. Um, when I, it doesn't... Re- it makes enough of a drink. You could probably get enough of a drink from one tree in a day yes. to have one drink per person. 200 the, mil? How many mil are we talking? These, and it depends. I can't, there's no definitive answer to that. Yeah, of because, course there isn't. You know, yeah. Every tree's different. The seasonality's different. Yeah. Um, but the really interesting thing is, so we're not looking at like maple syrup type trees. No. Um, the interesting thing is if you if those trees are, are, they grow in these really frost prone parts of Tasmania, right? Mm-hmm. If you grow them in a slightly warmer area, they don't perform the same same way. They still grow, but they don't have this same kind of uh, weeping um, uh, nature uh, ability. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so when you go up to that part of, of Tasmania, so it's this kind of high coal plateau. You, one of the a- aspects of this is that some of these trees are dying because of climate change. So they exist on this kind of really fragile, freezing border between way too cold and not cold enough. 
And if the temperature changes just by a little bit, they don't survive anymore in that part of the world where they've been growing for, for countless years. Gosh, Max, you so, might have found a metaphor for humanity. Well, yes, possibly. Sorry, I, I, could, could I couldn't help it. A book about, it could just be a book about drinking. I don't know. Yeah, let, let, let's just let, let's go back to the book about drinking because if we think about the former, we'll be drinking way too much. Um, the, um, the another one that which um, astounded me is that it, it, it's not just that cider gum that is um, down there in the uh, the boggy frost sort of marshes of Tasmania. No. Um, it's all over Australia, and uh, one that really, really astounded me um, was uh, something that, before actually I came to Australia, used to terrify me, um, which was uh, the wicked Banksia men in uh, <laughs> Snugglepot and Cuddlepie. But uh, yeah. uh, the Banksia flowers have a really, really cool use. In su- some, some kinds yeah. of Banksia, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, when I read about this, uh, this drink, so it's a drink from Western Australia... Uh, called Mangage is one of its names. Mm. Um, and so Noongar people around the area of Perth and further south, even the Dutch who arrived in the 17th century uh, observed these people taking banksia cones, the giant banksias, you know, the really tall yellow kind of um, amazing candles, candle-like banksia cones that are full of nectar yeah. and steeping them in water and again, leaving the drink to ferment and then consuming it. So it's not. So there are examples of nectar being steeped in water right across Australia, but a lot of those examples are fresh, um, fresh drinks. Okay. So you get the you get the beautiful sweet nectar out. You drink it, drink it as a as a sweet drink. But in this case, it was definitely left to ferment. And um, so and I, and I guess maybe what the what this does actually set up is that um, first of all we've had a misapprehension about the use of fermented drinks within this country by the indigenous. Secondly, we set up a collision in drinking cultures that happens when the colonialists come with their barrels of distilled spirits, and it's impose a much different drinking culture upon the environment. Exactly. So all of these examples from the Australian mainland uh, that that exist in the historical record and contemporary accounts are mild drinks, Mm. and they're very seasonal, and they're they're very much attached to ceremony and culture. There are some examples in in northern Australia, in Arnhem Land, for example, where Macassan sailors would bring arak, strong spirits, with them uh, when they came um, fishing for trepang or sea cucumber, and that predates Europeans. And they would drink with the Yolnu people in Arnhem Land. But again, it came with a certain kind of ceremony. Yeah. It came, and it was, it was not constant. And mutual respect. But mutual respect, absolutely. And what happened with, in 1788 is a, a, a vast ocean of spirits arrived that was <laughs> constantly available yeah. and was did not come with the same kind of ceremonial attachment and understanding of the ceremony of drinking. So it was, it was constantly widely available and incredibly strong. That, that was the really big difference, yeah. I think, in 1788. It was the patterns of drinking that came with the booze the grog that that caused a lot of the problems that we're still seeing today. Indeed, we are in Firewater. So, look, if you're, um, this is a great reason to uh, purchase this fine tome published by Thames and Hudson. What's the uh, recommended retail price on this? 
$32.99. Oh, bargain, and it holds in the dimension. It feels really good in the hand. Yes, it does. Um, now, um, so this is the first chapter that, that sets off um, Australia's journey with, uh, with, with the ethanol. Um, and one of the, where shall we go to next? I, I wanted to talk about possibly champagne, because uh, there was an interesting experience. And also it's quite surprising that even before the gold rush, we were importing vast amounts of uh, this luxury product from across the ocean. If you talk to a champagne producer now, they'll tell you that Australia is one of the most important markets in the world. Mm -hmm. So we we drink more of some of the best-known champagnes here than some other much, much bigger countries population-wise, like Germany or... Yep. um, So... And, and you think, why do we love champagne so much in Australia? Where does this come from? And I think it's the really fascinating thing that in the 1840s, the early 1840s, when Melbourne was you know, only six years old as a settlement, yep. um, this ship came from Montreal carrying building supplies and the kind of things you'd expect to be coming to a new settlement. Yep. They also have these incredible wicker baskets full of champagne. And you're thinking, why, well, who could afford to, to drink champagne? Why were they having champagne? And champagne was seen as this luxury item even then mm. and was used to tempt people to the land sales. I love this idea that, oh. you know, you can read these ads for come and, come and, uh, come and put your bids in on this block of the, of the land next to the Yarra River that's just been opened up and we'll give you free food and free champagne for your, for your troubles for the day. God, it almost sounds and, like the American political process, isn't it? Bribe well, people to vote. Exactly, yeah, yeah, go on. Yep. Exactly, Nothing's changed, right? No, nothing's so, changed. Um, and the, uh, fortunately for us, unfortunately for the people involved, the ship sank just inside um, Port Phillip Bay near Queenscliff. There's a what 10 now? out of 10 on the whoops scale. Is a, a what? A 10 out of 10 on the whoops scale. <laughs> I know, right? So, <laughs> whoops! As I say, terrible for them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, really good for us because the, the it just sat there and it kind of got lost and forgotten about. And it was in the 1980s that they brought up some of these champagne bottles that were still full, that still had their corks intact. Mm-hmm. And in the early 90s, um, the Victorian Archaeological Survey, now Heritage Victoria, decided to hold a public tasting to taste some of these old wines in an attempt to find out perhaps what they tasted like and what could that tell us about the history, which is exactly the motivation for my book. And you got a sip. I was, I was lucky enough to be there. It was like I'd just started writing for The Age and, and somebody handed me this little taste of murky brown water, <laughs> murky brown liquid, and uh, and it was disgusting, right? Because it yeah. was 160 year old, 150 year old champagne been sitting at the bottom of the sea. What well, it tastes um, like. But you, Oyster juice, like really nasty, like you know, tinned yeah. oysters. Yes, but, yes. Yeah. Not very nice, but well, I can imagine it anyway. Yeah, dreadful. But you could see behind it the venosity. You could taste the kind of grapiness. And uh, can I thing- extrapolate from there, Max? Sorry to cut across because we're starting to get low on time. One of the things that you do and your intellectual process is, you, I think you said you can almost taste the sunshine from that year so long ago. You could. I think you could. And there are other experiences that I've had like that over the last 25 years that have just, I've actually found quite moving in, in, in uh, quite a profound way. So when, when I crushed the first apples to make my own cider that I'd managed to, you know, scavenge these apples from an orchard and I crushed them up and I put the juice into a demijohn and this wild fermentation just started. Those little bubbles appeared 
it gives it gave me an incredible connection to every other person who's ever done that in the past, if that makes sense. Like, it's this idea that you're, I don't know, you're, you're taking on and trusting in ancient wisdom rather than reading something out of a book and experiencing it for yourself for the first time. So I, I hopefully tried to capture some of those possibly poetic, possibly pretentious experiences ah, in the book. I loved it. And, but, and one of the things, you got to hang out with a mutual friend of ours, Seb Rayborn, and, uh, and he helped you distill this peach, and it was... It's leap into immortality. Well, again, this the magic of distillation. If Indeed. you see it for yourself, if you taste it for yourself, Max, you can understand why they why they call it spirit. Indeed. No, sorry, buddy. We're gonna. Um, ha- I'm gonna have to wind it up because the hour is um, is upon us. Uh, this is a great read. Uh, there is all sorts of things you look at, um, uh, uh, winemakers. But one that was kind of interesting, we did talk about VB, and I actually watched a whole bunch of ads. Mm. Boy, there was a lot of sweat. <laughs> so much Everybody's sweat. sweating. Anyway, we're going to have yeah. to go. Max, you rock, buddy. Um, buy this book, folks. It's a great read. We're going to have to get out of here. Thank you, Max. Thank you. See you, mate. Bye. Bye. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 